Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. I hope you are ready to be encouraged and challenged and strengthened in your faith today and always pointed to the truth of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Great guest today. I can't wait to speak with him. So let's open right away. Father in heaven, thank you for your sovereignty. Thank you for what you're doing In the realm of the Spirit, we know that you are always working, Lord. We know that you promise to complete the work that you began in each believer in Christ, and you promise that you have a future and a hope for us, and that hope we have as an anchor to our souls. Forgive us, Lord, of our sins. Forgive us as a nation. We repent of our national sins, and, O God, bring the church back to you. May there be an awakening. May there be a revival. We don't know when, we don't know how, but we know that you can do all things, God, because you are the creator of the heavens and the earth, and we love you, we trust you in all things, and we lift up this season to you where there's so much spiritual warfare, so much divisiveness, and so much angst, God, and plus the fear of the coronavirus. Oh, God, we need you now more than ever, so please Help us, God, see and understand the times and be like the men of Issachar who know what to do because our eyes are on you. We love you. We lift up this hour to you and thank you for this day that you've blessed us with. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's guest believes that Christians can and should have a major impact on presidential elections and our culture, and now is not the time to retreat. It's critical that all Bible-believing Americans step up and let our voices be heard. Dr. Rick Scarborough was ordained in 1972, served as a pastor for more than 25 years. From 74 till 1988, he preached more than 500 revival crusades. He is an author and culture warrior I had the privilege of meeting about a month ago. In 1998, he founded Vision America, a nonprofit organization for the purpose of mobilizing pastors and their congregations to be proactive in restoring the Christian foundations upon which America was built. He has spoken to more than 20,000 pastors face-to-face, has appeared on numerous radio and TV programs, urging Christians to be salt and light. One of his books is called Enough is Enough. His work has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, Time Magazine, among many others. He appears on radio and television programs and has his own podcast. I don't know how he has the time to do everything, but Rick Scarborough, thank you so much for joining us on Stand Up For The Truth. Well, Dave, it's my privilege, and thank God for your work up there. Well, um, it's a joy to spend this time with you and your audience. Well, I can now point to you for our listeners. When I got back from that conference, America at the Crossroads down in Dallas, I was recharged and energized. And yeah. um, I, thanks to you and, and Paul Blair and Dan Fisher and all the others. And I've had many of them on this podcast, and it's been a blessing to our listeners. But let's start with Vision America, uh, Rick. It's a conservative organization. You founded it in 1994. Could you tell us a little bit about, well, that vision for Vision America? Well, happy to. The, I, I really organized as a result of encouragement by uh, Jerry Falwell, who served uh, originally on our uh, advisory board along with uh, a lot of other notables like B. James Kennedy, Tim LaHaye, uh, Adrian Rogers, uh, mm. David Barton. Uh, at the time, uh, I was uh, still classified as a young preacher. I was under 40. I'd written a book entitled Enough is Enough, uh, which uh, Dr. Falwell uh, created Livery House Publishing for the purpose of getting that book out mm. uh, and uh, help me advance and promote that. And then he sat me down one day and he said, Rick, uh, you don't have a name that's well-known. So let me build you an advisory board of well-known people to get you more exposure. And um, I must say, um, in many ways, he he uh, mentored me. His passing was a great loss. And I remember uh, being in that great throng of people at his funeral. Jerry Vines, uh, 
uh, was one of the people who spoke at that funeral, and he, he said something that caused a chuckle through the crowd. He said, uh, when Jerry Falwell, shortly before he died, he referred to Adrian Rogers as his best friend. He said, I'd always thought I was his best friend. <laughs> uh, Dr. Falwell made everybody feel like they're, they, they were his best friend. Hmm. But that was the genesis of Vision America. Uh, we, uh, uh, over the years, developed a national reputation and uh, and God has allowed us to do a, an enormous work through that ministry. Now, let me just say, and you would have no reason to, uh, to know this, in 2016, I gave the, the the leadership of that organization over to one of my subordinates. Uh, he was an attorney. Uh, he uh, had uh, I had made him second in command. Uh, he was about 20 years my junior. You know, reaching uh, age uh, 66, 67, you begin thinking about transition. And so I transitioned out of the leadership of Vision America, handed the ball over to a, a dear friend. And uh, at the same time, and uh, you stop me if I get uh, carried away, after all, <laughs> I am a preacher. No problem. But uh, uh, during that same era, I had an opportunity to go to work, uh, traveling back and forth to Washington, D.C., uh, Jim Garlow asked me to be the uh, his D.C. representative there. Uh, that was something I'd often thought about. So for a, a season, I did Bible studies in the State Department with members of Congress, including one man that I had baptized as a pastor, uh, Randy Weber. Uh, Jody Heiss, a preacher who surrendered uh, uh, to public service while I w- was involved in a crusade that, uh, to promote the Ten Commandments in the era of all that happened with uh, the judge down in Alabama. So uh, that was an exhilarating period in which God allowed me to take my pastoral skills and directly pour into the life of these elected officials. But I must say, Dave, my heart has always been pastors. And so after that season uh, uh, reached uh, what I believed to be a a fulfilling moment, I handed the ball over to another uh, member of, of Jim Garlow's staff, came back to Texas, reorganized a new ministry called Recover America Now, and that's the the, the ministry that I'm president of. Uh, we've been in existence about two years, and once again, we're on the road doing nothing but mobilizing pastors. Thank you, and pastors do need to be mobilized. I, I want to get to your podcast in just a minute, I, especially the one of the most recent guests you've had on, Star Parker. But, uh, Rick, why do you think, in, in your years of experience and being really on, really an insider in this and engaged in this political pro- process, trying to connect church and culture, which was divided because of the lie of the separation of church and state, in all of your years of working— Why do you think so many pastors backed out of culture, and has that resulted in millions and millions of Americans not even voting? I mean, Christians, Christians not even voting. Well, you're asking a question I've thought a lot about, and I think the answer uh, is not a simple one, but I'm going to give you what I believe to be the primary reason, and some would take issue with this. Hmm. Uh, When I did my doctoral work uh, back in the um, 80s, you know, I was given an option of, of several different fields I could focus on. And uh, one of them was a new field called the church growth movement. And, uh, you know, I, I never wanted to kill a church. I always wanted to grow a church. So I chose the emphasis of church growth. And here's what I think has happened. Uh, somewhere along the way, we got so smart that we decided, hey, you know, there's a certain formula for building a great church. And... Um, and so we, we, many preachers began specializing on all the details that some great pastors had done that resulted in great churches, but they missed something. Uh, those great churches, and I'm talking about great numerical churches that are biblically based, were built around an anointed pastor. Uh, his, his goal wasn't to build a mighty church. His goal was to exalt Jesus and preach the gospel, and a mighty church was raised up around him. But we, we extracted the principles of, of uh, how to be seeker-sensitive, how to be people-friendly, uh, how to build the crowd. Yes. And I think I mentioned this whenever I was speaking to the pastors there at the uh, Crossroads event. Uh, we, our, our focus uh, moved from, from uh, exalting Christ and, and encouraging people to live a godly life into how to build a crowd. You know, Dave, it's God's business to build the church, not ours. 
Uh, it's God's business to add, not ours. Our business is to preach the un, un, the unmitigated gospel uh, without uh, without any uh, uh, fear of, of of man. We should fear God and God alone. But I'm afraid that what we've done has become so proficient at how to dot our I's and cross our T's and how to get the crowd that we've lost the passion for Christ, and we certainly uh, have moved away from any kind of political action because, after all, uh, half your crowd may be of a party that is different than you're uh, you're promoting. And uh, if, if you take a position on any, uh, any any biblical issue, and they are biblical issues, you're accused of involving politics. Hmm. And uh, that has caused pastors to shy away, fall away, and run away. Yes, a big amen to that. And when you water down the gospel— then you were almost almost rendering it ineffective when we know from Scripture the gospel is the power of God into salvation. But we know when you start focusing on numbers, like you just said, that you get way off track. And then once you start trying to draw in people from the world, you've got to give them worldly things. And so you can't give them meat. You can't give them the hard truths of God's word, the deny yourself, the, the t- teachings on holiness and repentance and sin and everything else. You've got to kind of soften the message and almost entertain them to draw them to churches. What are your thoughts on that approach? Well, uh, just look at at what we're seeing on TV so often. Young preachers today believe it's got to have a fog and light machine, and, and you got to wear uh, uh, Pants with holes in them in order to be an effective preacher. <laughs> yes. And that's that's because that's what they're seeing. Mm-hmm. And they're forgetting that our goal is to exalt Jesus. And so uh, there is, you said it perfectly well. Yeah, if you use the world's means to get the world in, then you got to be worldly to keep them there. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that's where our churches are. We, we're, we've lost the prophetic edge. But, you know, there's a passage in the Bible that tells us that this is going to happen. Uh, if you look at Isaiah chapter 3, it talks about all the signs of a nation that's fallen away from God, and it's like a, a newspaper of American life today. Hmm. Wow, and I think of Isaiah 5.20, where it says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And we're seeing that in our culture, not a big surprise, as this nation has become more secularized, but now we are seeing that seep into the church um, before we go on, and this is a little off topic of what I wanted to talk about, but speaking of that, getting into the church and impacting Christians, when Christians are supposed to be counterculture, what do you think about this movement of so-called evangelicals for Biden or pro-life uh, Christians for Biden? It just it seems like an oxymoron. What do you think about this confusion out there? Well, I, I think it's it, it just ref- reflects everything we've been talking about in this segment. The, um, one of the, the leaders of that movement, as you know, is a granddaughter of Billy Graham. Yeah. And uh, they put her out front because she has a very visible uh, legacy, and, and so it kind of validates for lesser known to follow. And, and she's trying to make this position that we shouldn't be seeing a single issue. Uh, a Christian shouldn't be single issue. <laughs> so she's embracing not only pro-abortion, but transgenderism, uh, 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 this uh, crazy notion that a man can marry a man, a woman can marry a woman, and so uh, marriage as, as designed by God has just been thrown over, over the, uh, the side. Uh, that party that she's now embracing and advancing embraces socialism, mm-hmm. uh, will advance uh, open borders, uh, the deterioration of our national influence around the world. It's, it's a remarkable... Uh, march into what I believe is a hellish doctrine. Yes. You know, anymore I tell people I'm not Republican and I'm not Democrat. I'm a Christocrat. But if you simply lay the two-party platforms side by side and look at them through the lens of the Bible, it's not hard to determine which side you should be on. Not at all. Did you say Christocrat? That's what I am, buddy. I, I like that. I'm going to start using it, if with your permission. <laughs> no, I will listen. I, yeah, Adrian Rogers said, if it's new, it ain't true. Everything goes back to Paul, so uh, if it's good, you use it. Oh, love Adrian Rogers. What a great man of yeah. God. Um, oh, I, I, I totally agree. He, yeah. The last time I saw him before he died, he kissed me on the cheek, 
and I almost didn't ever wash my cheek again. <laughs> By the way, there's not very many men I let kiss me on the cheek. <laughs> well, thank you for clarifying that, Rick. <laughs> uh, we're speaking with Rick Scarborough today, and um, if you want to get more information on what all the work, some of the work that he does, recoveramericanow.org, recoveramericanow. Before we go on, and talk about your interview with Star Parker a little bit. You wrote a book, Enough is Enough, in the 90s, and I'm going to put a link yes. to that in our podcast at standupforthetruth.com so people can link to that and go check out the book. But what what did you have enough of, and uh, what caused you to write that book at that time? Well, in all honesty, I, I, I received a, a grant uh, from, uh, from, uh, from a publishing company and rewrote the book in 2008, but they're still dated somewhat. Uh, in 2008, the central figure was was uh, Bill Clinton, and I tried to do an expose on him. Uh, but more importantly, I, I built a, at least half of the book around America's godly heritage and, and uh, talked about our, our colonies and their state constitutions when, when the uh, New Republic was formed and how this country has fallen so far away from its founding principles. In 1996, when the original uh, publication came out, I, I focus on uh, the life and times of, of uh, Bill Clinton. Hmm. In 2008, Barack Obama, and among, uh, among others, was running for the presidency. I didn't know Barack Obama finally would get the nomination when, when uh, I wrote the book, but I assumed he would. And so I did a deep dive into the life and times of Barack Obama. But once again, uh, against the backdrop of our godly heritage, both books, or both editions, I should say, have a heavy, in, uh, heavy uh, emphasis on America's God and country, and they make great resource books uh, for anyone that wants to see where America, uh, or what America was about when she was founded, and what we've lost over the two centuries we've been a republic. Yeah, and that's been a major concern of this program, and I'm sure a lot of Christians and pastors on the conservative side and really on the truth side, because of what's happened in our public education system and our kids. I mean, education, history has been rewritten, and we've got to face it. And the enemy has taken over uh, the education from K through 12 and then academia. The the, uh, universities were the first to go in the 1930s and 40s. Fabian socialists came over, and and we're in big trouble when it comes to the younger people growing up now being leaders, going out into politics into leadership into culture big tech big tech is practically an arm of the democrat party today and most of us are all part of we use big tech out of necessity but it's amazing what are your thoughts on on the younger people growing up not having that foundation not only of the judeo-christian principles and values of this country but actual true unedited history well dave is i'm sure you've been teaching uh, your listeners uh, if this is not reversed, it's over for America. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, one thing that good, one good thing has come out of COVID. A whole lot of parents have learned what their kids have been have been brainwashed to believe because of of the, of the reality that they've been pushed out of the public schools into their homes, and more and more parents are now looking over the shoulder and seeing what the curriculum actually is. Yes, but if this is not reversed, uh, it, it's over for this country. And uh, after the break, I know you've got, you got some strong breaks coming up. After the break, I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit more about what you said about big tech and about uh, uh, this matter of education, because uh, it, it's not something you can, you can talk just a few minutes about. Uh, it's, it's worth, uh, as you know, several series of programs. But we're in real trouble right now because the generation that's coming up and replacing my generation is a generation that knows not Joseph nor the ways of our founders, and they're, they're, they're so, uh, so empty of true convictions about what generates freedom yes. that they're embracing a lie. Yep. Uh, if you watch the ads for the presidents right now, one party, uh, the main thing they tell you is all the stuff they're going to give you. And so what you're actually doing is, is you're doing the very thing Karl Marx said would happen uh, to a free republic. He said sooner or later, uh, people will find out they can vote uh, themselves the treasury and they'll bankrupt the system and that's exactly where we are mm. we're in a dangerous place a pivotal time in our history and that's going to be building up actually three weeks from today is election day and election night hey we're with pastor rick scarborough you don't want to miss what's coming up 
Uh, We're going to talk about big tech. We'll also talk about Liberty Pastors, his interview with Star Parker, and a takeaway from this first segment. Remember, anyone can build a crowd, but Jesus did not call us to build a crowd. He called us to make disciples. More on Stand Up For The Truth when we come back. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. We are so blessed today to have on Dr. Rick Scarborough, former pastor of 25 years, evangelist, author, and uh, founder of Renew, I'm sorry, Recover America Now. We need to renew America too, but Recover America Now. And uh, in a few minutes, we'll talk about his interview with Star Parker and also Liberty Pastors. That's how I came to meet uh, Rick down in Dallas, Texas, just over a month ago. Phenomenal. Um, Really, it was a uh, a conference for pastors, but what an amazing event and inspirational to so many who went to their churches in different parts of the country and are right now rallying their congregations. Um, So let's talk about before um, we got back on the air, you mentioned that you actually had some impact in the early years and actually getting members of your church to run for office. And I would love to hear a little bit of that history, Rick. Well, I went to First Baptist Church of Pearland, Texas, on the southeast side of Houston. Uh, It's a suburb of Houston. I went there in 1990, uh, fresh out of full-time evangelism. I had I preached, as you mentioned earlier, over 500 crusades around the country and around the world, for that matter. And so you would imagine uh, I'd have a pretty evangelistic bent. Well, during the first 18 months I was in Pearland, that church that at the time ran about 1,000, uh, we we saw 500 conversions and baptisms. I mean, God just he just fell on the church in a miraculous fashion. We uh, outgrew the building, started looking for property so we could build a, a new uh a new facility. The, the church itself was landlocked on three and a half acres of land, and so there was no room to grow. So we were looking for property. It was the best of times. Hmm. Well, whenever God moves like that, all of your uh, listeners will know that that's when Satan gets involved. <laughs> and boy, did he ever. I, I was at the back of the church on Sunday morning in a uh, place uh, we'd had a great service. People had been saved. Well, a lady walked out and grabbed my hand and said, Preacher, are you going to the high school assembly tomorrow? Well, I didn't know there was a high school assembly. And I need to tell this quick because it, it, it's, it, it, it can drone on forever. But <laughs> the net of it was um, I had a full schedule the next day, and, and I had no chance that I could go. But I sent my associate, Rod Compton. Well, Rod went to the assembly the next day, and he came back, and he was just he was so taken by the content that he literally wouldn't tell me what he heard. Rod's a throwback to preachers 100 years ago. He he can't say pregnant in mixed company. Uh, He's just real pristine and Mm. and pure in his heart. And what he had heard was just completely over the top. So uh, I handed off a prospective staff member that I was spending the day with. Uh, We were growing and we were adding staff. Rod took this man to lunch. I went to the fifth of the five assemblies at the local high school, one of the largest in, in the Houston area. Well, as God would have it, my daughter was seated about halfway between me and the speaker. I didn't have a, a, a pass to go. I, I just walked right in because it was time for the assembly, sat down. I was wearing a suit that day. The speaker came out. She was a young lady. She was very, uh, very uh, cute. And, uh, boy, she, she had the kids in the palm of her hand. She was using a lot of jokes. Uh, she was an established speaker. I found out later she was 25 years old. She, she had on what looked like a very short skirt. Uh, we used to call them kulaks, a uh, flap in the front. They were actually shorts, but, uh, boy, she was uh, uh, she was jumping around and flashing around. And, and so then she started in, in the, her real intent. She was there to talk about this new disease called GRIDS, Gay-Related Immune Deficiency Syndrome. That's right. I don't know if your listeners are old enough to remember when they called it that, but that wasn't politically correct. It was quickly changed to AIDS, acquired immune deficiency syndrome. But her purpose was to to protect our kids from grids. But her method of protection was, uh, you know, use a condom and everything will be okay. She, uh, she started talking about how the kids could have every kind of sex you can imagine. And frankly, some you should not imagine. Uh, She talked about anal sex. She actually 
and I'm gonna be a little a little uh, gross here, but please forgive me. I you know, sometimes the truth is a little bit gross. Yep. But she told our kids that oral sex was the safest form of sex they could engage in uh, because they couldn't get AIDS unless they had a sore in their mouth, as you can imagine. Now, when she made that statement, my hand shot up. Now, rem- remember, I'm an uninvited guest. I'm in a, a room with about 500 students. It was the fifth assembly of the day. My daughter is present. She doesn't know her daddy is there. The lady looks at me and no doubt thought I was a principal. So she paused and she said, yes, sir. <laughs> I said, ma'am, you just said that our kids could have all this sex as long as they used a condom. And you said a condom was 94% effective against protecting the disease of grids. I said, I've been doing research on this. And frankly, I had. I was preparing a series of messages on this new uh, disease that was uh, in 1992, uh, little known. And so I had facts. God had prepared me for this. I said, now, that's not true. Well, boy, before she could respond, a teacher shouted across the room, I've read the same statistic in a teen magazine, and it is true. I thought to myself, you mean we're resorting to teen magazines to give life and death instruction to our kids? Wow. That while we're doing this X-rated assembly and teaching our kids out every kind of sex there is, including my children, we're turning to teen magazines for our authority? Well, I I paused. I knew this wasn't the time to get in a straight-out, all-out war with a school teacher. Hmm. So I just sat down, but... David, I had brought a tape recorder with me. It was in my pocket. Actually, a dictaphone, which we all carried back in the 90s uh, before computers. I should say handheld devices. Well, I got 30 minutes of her 45-minute escapade on tape. I got the crucial part. At that point, she went into diatribe about her own sex life and how she herself was infected with grids, but her boyfriend who lived with her was not. And she wouldn't jeopardize his life for the world. I literally put my head in my hands and I sobbed. I got so I was so stricken with grief mm. at what was taking place at our local high school. You know, David, when I was in eighth grade, we had sex education. Yeah. Now your listeners are going to laugh at this, <laughs> but they took the boys in the boys' gym, the girls in the girls' gym. They they covered the the windows with tar paper. Yep. They showed a sixteen millimeter projection of people with with, uh, syphilis and gonorrhea and other sexually transmitted diseases. They showed them in insane asylums. They showed them with their teeth rotted out. And they basically said, if you do this, you'll get that. It terrified us so much, it would take us three years of married life to get over it. Uh, The truth of the matter is that, you know, by the time I was now pastor, sex education had made a leap year forward. I mean, uh, they were talking about every kind of aberration of sex you can imagine, and the only rule was, you don't tell me it's wrong, I won't tell you that it's, that it's wrong, just do what you want to do, but make sure you, quote, practice safe sex. Hmm. Well, that was the day for me that I decided to get involved. That was the day for me when I said, and that's the book, Enough is Enough. I went back to my, I first of all uh, waited to make sure I could minister my own daughter, Misty, who was a senior. She came straight to me, and I delight to tell your audience, she threw her arms around my neck, kissed me on the cheek, and said, Daddy, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. That was like saying, sick it to a cur dog. I, I don't mind telling you. Wow. Uh, I realized that we had many of our, our people that were teachers in that school. Uh, Pearland High School was the large, was the number one employer, I, I might add, in our community. Uh, thousands of students, uh, hundreds and hundreds of educators and, and uh, administrative workers a lot of them in my church. So I knew that if I took on the school, I was taking on the community in some ways. But I also knew that before I was ever called to preach, I was called to take stands for Christ. Amen. And so I went back to my office. I took the tape recording. Uh, and uh, if I get too lengthy here, David, interrupt me and don't let me, uh, uh, I don't want to abuse this privilege. No, keep going. Uh, well, I went back to my office. I called uh, an attorney. His name was Cactus Cagle. I said, Cactus, if I make the public this secret recording I have, can I be sued? He said, Preacher, let me look into it. Now, while he was researching uh, what would happen, I made a covenant with God that the only difference he was going to make was whether I did it as a parent or as a pastor, because I wasn't going to drag the, the church into a lawsuit if that's where it was headed, but I wasn't going to back down either. 
He called me back and he said, Preacher in Texas, public school assembly is public information. You can do whatever you want to with that tape. So I put her on a signboard on one of the busiest thoroughfares on the southeast side of Houston. If you want to hear what kids heard at PHS come Sunday. <laughs> now, I want you to know that was the most, that was the best church growth idea I ever had. <laughs> I mean, we couldn't get them in the building. We had to ask our people to go to the overflow. Uh, some were standing in the back. Now, I walked into that uh, to that assembly. I was born at night, but not last night. I said to myself, this is a great chance to evangelize. So I set aside the, the remarks on the assembly. I preached in about 15 minutes an evangelistic sermon, gave an invitation that several saved. Then I set them all down. I held up a 12-page transcript of what I had tape recorded. I warned them that it was X-rated. I said, if you want to get your children out, we've made provisions in the gym. Uh, some did take their kids out. Hmm. And I then read that assembly, the 30 minutes I had, word for word, just like she said it, four little words and all. There's some little old ladies in East Texas, I should say, in Southeast uh, Houston that still can't believe I heard a preacher say those words. But, you know, sometimes we're so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. And it was my opinion that if she could say it to our high school students, their parents ought to hear it. Yes. I've never seen a group of Baptists get so agitated in my whole life. I mean, if, I'd have let, if I would have given the word, they'd have burned the high school down that day. Uh, one of the men stood up and said, Preacher, what are we going to do? And I said, well, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to pray about this. And I've already requested a called school board meeting. I'm going to address that school board meeting. Now, I'm going to tell the rest of this in, in four or five minutes. The school. Uh, the next day, front page of the of the uh, sex, second section of the Houston Chronicle. The whole page was my remarks. I didn't know it, but a Chronicle reporter was in the crowd that day. Word had gotten out. Uh, that created a media uh, feeding a feeding frenzy. I literally had to take my wife, leave the county, and hide for for the whole. Uh, week following to stay out of the press because I wanted this to be a local school board issue and not a press issue that uh, just got crazy. So I didn't do any press except for one interview where I told my side of the story, and that's the only interview that I did. The following Monday week, I went to that school board meeting, and when I got there, I couldn't find a parking place. They had to move the meeting three times to get in a facility large enough for the crowd Hundreds of people showed up, a lot of them from our church. They had lined up seven speakers. I was the seventh. The other six were all lined up to refute uh, this crazy Baptist preacher. What they did is they made complete fools of themselves. I then spoke for five minutes, uh, and that's one of the hardest speeches you'll ever give, as you know. But I was interrupted <laughs> about seven or eight times by standing ovation, and I learned something that I never forgot. Politicians can count. When this event started, they were angry and mad at me because I'd created such a public turmoil. But when they saw where the, the, the public opinion stood, and it was with me, they, their countenance began to change. They began interrupting my remarks with questions. They, they themselves had children in the school. They had no idea uh, the conduct uh, or the content of the assembly. Uh, they just couldn't imagine that the principal had allowed that to happen. And the outcome was swift and stern. The principal was fired for other official reasons. I was requested to put four of our members on a committee to rewrite the sex education, which we came up with a with a with a, a uh, an abstinence-based education. Our church bought four thousand dollars worth of materials to put in the new high school uh, uh, library on the subject of sex education. A lot of it was tapes and books by people like James Dobson, and I went to the pulpit and began encouraging our people to run for public office. Hmm. In two election cycles, we had four of our members out of seven on the school board. Wow. We had three of our members out of five on the city council, and subsequently three of them ran for state legislature and were elected. One is still serving. One died in office, and the third one is Randy Weber, whom I baptized. He's now a sitting member of Congress. And what we learned, and this is all now 25 years old, what we learned is if Christians get involved, it makes a difference. Yes. What a phenomenal 
story, Rick Scarborough, and uh, the website recoveramericanow.org. One, one thing you said I want to highlight. If you had given the word, now these are people coming in from the, from the community and people from your church at this right. meeting. You said if you had given the word, the people would have burned the high school down. That is righteous indignation. Psalm 119.53 says, Burning indignation has seized me because of the wicked who forsake your law. That was 25 years ago. What has happened today to the church? Have we gotten so comfortable, so apathetic, so lukewarm, so focused on our leisure and luxury and entertainment that we are not willing to take a stand for our children anymore? Well, you know, David, here's the thing I tell preachers, too. When I made the decision to take my stand, I wasn't sure I wouldn't be fired. I didn't know how people would respond to that, hmm. because so many of them had, all of them had kids in the school, and many of them worked at the school. Uh, but what I discovered is our people were looking for leadership. They knew something was wrong, and they were looking for someone who would just stand up and say, as I did, enough is enough. Hmm. And as a result of that, I've had the joy of writing numerous books. I've spoken all over the country and recently got to pray before the entire world at the, at, at the return uh, that took place in Washington, D.C. three weeks ago. Now, that wasn't my goal. My goal was to right a wrong right there where I was. But here's what the Bible says. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. If we're faithful in little things, God will make you master over great things. And so preachers that are listening... The only thing God requires of you is for you to do the right thing where you are right now. Don't be concerned about your career. Don't be concerned about your future. God will take care of that. Amen. If you take care of doing your duty where you are now. I promised our listeners that we would get your insights from that interview you did with Star Parker a couple weeks ago. We're going to do that when we come back. We've got less than a minute now before we need to take a break. When we also come back with Dr. Rick Scarborough, we're going to talk about the Jonathan Project. I really want this information, if anything else in this whole podcast, this information about the Jonathan Project, I want to get that out to our listeners so they can get that out to their pastors and their churches. We're also going to talk a little bit about big tech, and I'll get your insight on the Amy Coney Barrett confirmation and the direction of the Supreme Court. And that's all coming up with Dr. Rick Scarborough on Stand Up For The Truth. Keep it right here. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. We're blessed to have Dr. Rick Scarborough on with us today, and uh, Patriot pastors are getting stirred up across this nation in part because of the work he does at Recover America Now. Also, the Liberty Pastors, uh, my brothers in arms, uh, Dan Fisher, Paul Blair, and so many others. By the way, we had Steve Smotherman on last week, and that has been probably one of the more popular podcasts in probably yeah, in probably several months. I just love his story. And when you hear men like that give not only their testimony, but their stance on the Word of God, willing to uh, seek His approval above man's, that stiffens the spines of others uh, in the church. Well, uh, Rick, before we get to the Jonathan Project, you do a podcast now, and it's over at Re Recover America, and you interviewed Star Parker. I love her voice in this culture, much-needed truth about our history, about socialism, about welfare, about the black community. Please share with us a couple takeaways from your talk with Star Parker. Well, I will. I I've known Star Parker for better than 20 years, and have just been amazed at her faithfulness and her purity. She, she unlike some, uh, takes Christianity very seriously, and it has implications uh, in every area of life, as you know. That's what Paul and Dan do such an effective job of communicating <clears throat> at our conferences. But uh, here is a black woman who was uh, came up uh, as a uh, in a single home, uh, had to basically rear herself, became sexually active at a very young age and, and got her in the abortion mill every year. She was having abortions and, and uh, found that she could uh, tap into the welfare system and she couldn't thrive, but she could certainly live. And then one day, because of the consecrated witness of a, a man of God, uh, she went to church 
was saved, had her life changed, and uh, then she self she put herself through college because she was brilliant. She uh, earned scholarships, and she's now become one of the leading uh, spokespersons in the conservative movement, and especially to Black Americans. Now she her message challenges everyone. Mm-hmm. She is articulate. She is uh, uh, brilliant, but most of all, her Christianity has only deepened and. And occasionally when I say something to her that she thinks might be a compromise, she checks me straight up. She, uh, I absolutely love her. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. And if you want to be sharpened, expose yourself to the work of Star Parker. Mm. She's amazing. And I get some of her articles over at One News Now. Um, Another slightly off-topic but relevant question to what we were just talking about in Star Parker's background uh, by the way, I didn't realize going back uh, many decades that welfare covered abortion, but apparently that's how she was able to continue to have Correct. children out of wedlock and have them aborted. Um, there is an unfortunate new story, a Supreme Court decision that just came down, and I'm very disappointed. Um, and that's why the importance of the Supreme Court, this will be a nice segue into Amy Coney Barrett, but um, they just decided that uh, the... I guess drugs can now be given to women to abort their babies. It says the U.S. Supreme Court temporarily allows mothers to obtain abortion pills without in-person visits. Now, this is why the Supreme Court conservatives, constitutionalists, originalists are so important, such as an Amy Coney Barrett. Your thoughts, not necessarily on that recent decision, uh, Dr. Rick, but on Amy Coney Barrett and the importance of the courts when it comes to withholding the Constitution? Well, I mean, this is probably the most important thing that Donald Trump has done throughout his entire presidency, and he's done a lot of incredibly important things. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the, the first president in my lifetime that has actually kept his promises. There are a lot of things about his personality that we all find abhorrent, mm-hmm. and we would like to change. Yes. Uh, when the last time around, many of us were praying that Amy Coney Barrett would be the one he chose. She was a finalist, as you know. Uh, he went uh, with Kavanaugh, and uh, Kavanaugh is proving to be a good judge. But Amy, uh, and I think that was because he knew how difficult it would be to get Amy, Amy Coney Barrett through. Little did he know uh, what they would do to Kavanaugh. Yes. But this oh woman goodness. is the real deal. Mm-hmm. She is a consecrated Christian. Uh, she's a part of the charismatic movement within the Catholic Church, and uh, as you know, uh, many of those folks uh, have a deep and abiding relationship with Jesus. Uh, she's uh, she's she's got uh, one of the most gifted minds of any jurist that's available to the Supreme Court. And if Jesus tarries, and if the radical left doesn't tear this country down, which they're planning to do, uh, we can literally see the revival we've been praying for over the next 30 years. Uh, now, if Jesus comes, that's better. But uh, <laughs> this country got off track with decisions by the courts, and it can only get back on track uh, by the same method, and that's what we're praying for. Amen. Amen. Uh, before we get to the Jonathan Project, um, you mentioned uh, you, you wanted to share a little bit about big tech and your thoughts on how uh, the really Silicon Valley has taken over and that young people, millennials and Democrats, they're giving campaign donations to the Democrats outweigh the Republicans. Is it something like 95 to 5 or it's, it's just so outrageous? But that's so Democrats are running big tech. Do you have thoughts on that you can share, Rick? Uh, the, the federal government has got to put a check on these people. They've got they, they've got legal freedoms uh, that they have not merited and that they're clearly abusing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can they can ban anyone they want to. They can uh, uh, you know we believe in freedom of speech, but speech is not free on the internet any longer because uh, these folks are all anti-Christian. Uh, they're they're uh, they're extreme leftists. They're globalists uh, in their views, and uh, their speech their speech has got to be checked. Uh, if, if if we continue to let them uh, run rampant over freedom of speech, uh, they will destroy our country. But I wanted to kind of piggyback on that and talk about this whole globalist effort. You know, during the uh, COVID nineteen, what we have seen happen 
is we've seen government picking and choosing. Yes. We, uh, the, the, the first great awakening uh, in this country gave birth to the country, uh, ended divine right of kings. But now we have the divine right of governors and, mayor, and mayors. Mm-hmm. They, uh, under the, the guise of protecting the citizenry, uh, they've taken powers that were, were never constitutionally granted to them. And they're picking and choosing losers. And who's losing is small business. The men and women who pay for our Little League ball clubs, who coach the Little League teams, who contribute to charities and attend our churches and tithe, they're losing their businesses. While these globalist uh, big box companies uh, like Amazon and uh, Walmart, to name a few, liquor stores, uh, they're thriving. In fact, (laughs) there's been more money made on liquor during this COVID-19 shutdown than ever before in history. Wow. And so what we've got is we've got a government run amok. Yes. We've got the divine right of mayors and judges telling us uh, what we can do. And it's time for the people to rise up. And Amen. It's time for, for uh, conservatives to rise up and simply say again, enough is enough. Amen. And pastors have to be a part of that. Um, have to lead it. Yes. Uh, on the final day of the Texas conference, America at the Crossroads, which we were a part of, uh, what a blessing, again, that was. Um, p- explain what was referred to when you had a pastor's panel uh, by next steps and a four-year plan. Well, I, I am the national spokesperson for the Jonathan Project. So what we're doing is we're teaming up with Liberty Pastors, and out of that event, we're going around the country and doing small events. And uh, it'll be a one-day event, in fact. And if there's any pastor listening that would like to host one, get in touch with me by simply uh, sending me an email at rs at jonathanproject.org, rs at jonathanproject.org. And I'd love to start a conversation. But we're going to do small one-day conferences in churches where there's pastors that want to take the culture back. We'll teach worldview training. We'll expose some of the leftist lies and also acquaint them with the Jonathan Project, which is, I believe, the finest tool for voter registration that's ever been afforded us. We use the best of technology. We can geofence a church. We can, dis- we can tell the pastor exactly who's registered and who's not, and more are not than are. Mm-hmm. And uh, we can change the direction of our country if pastors will take the lead and uh, work with us in this effort through Liberty Pastors. And I'd like to also say, if you're interested in my podcast, uh, get in touch with me at rs at jonathanproject.org, and I'll give you information about how to receive that weekly. But I'd love to communicate with your listeners in that fashion. Yes, Recover America is where the podcast is, but uh, I'll put the, your email, if that's okay, in the yes. uh, blog, rs at jonathanproject.org, endorsed by Franklin Graham who and others. He said, I'm grateful to the Jonathan Project for their focused efforts to encourage Christians to vote and express their faith and values at the ballot box. Thank you, Jonathan Project, for faithfully communicating this important truth to churches across the nation. Uh, pa- uh, Dr. Rick, we have three minutes left, and do you have any concerns about the upcoming election? Um, it just seems like the energy and enthusiasm is really behind the Trump administration and what Donald Trump has done in the last three and a half years. As you said, he's fulfilled more promises than any president that I can remember. And yet there's this thing in the back of our minds that says, the Democrats are pushing absentee ballots, mail-in ballots, and all these other things. And, and you know there's cheating and there's voter fraud every election. To what degree? Uh, that's up for debate. But, Rick, any thoughts and any concerns about the election coming up and uh, what we can do? I'm deeply concerned, David. In addition to uh, ballots by mail uh, being uh, uh, fraudulent, there's also a major scheme underway uh, through computers. People are not aware that our government contracts out uh, computer balloting. And all the results wind up in Barcelona, Spain, where if they choose, they literally can change ballots. Uh, I've been privy to a small group meeting that took place last week where we heard the experts give the evidence. That evidence is being turned over to authorities. But boy, do we need to pray wow. that this election yes. is not stolen. Yes. That's incredible. And I don't want to alarm people, but we just need to be aware 
Um, you know, if someone is a, is not a Christian, obviously they're living for this world. They don't they don't have the same conscience when it comes to lying, when it comes to cheating, when it comes to doing whatever is within their means, whatever is necessary to reach the end that they want to get to. Of course, they're going to try to do all these things, pull out all the stops. We're seeing that with these riots and everything else in our culture. And by the way, there's so many TV commercials and internet ads for registering to vote. They're trying to reach uninformed voters and a lot of young people that really don't care. They don't know about the policies. They just know Donald Trump bad. Joe Biden's the way, the guy that uh, Hollywood and, and everyone else is telling them to vote for. So this is concerning. Uh, Rick Scarborough, any closing thoughts? We've got a minute and a half left. And I would I'm just so blessed to have you on the podcast today, sir. Well, I would urge your listeners to, to understand what a gift they have in, in a, a man of truth as you are, David. I uh, These kind of ministries can't exist without people supporting them. So I would urge your listeners, and I wasn't asked to do this, but I would urge the listeners uh, to, to get involved financially and, and extend the reach of this ministry, because I'm interviewed all the time, but a few times with the energy and understanding that David expresses. David, I thank God for you and and pray a blessing on you. I do the same for you, sir. Uh, thank you for your kind words. We do have a fundraiser coming up at the end of the month, but I really want to send people to jonathanproject.org, recoveramericanow.org. We'll put these links up in the podcast. And uh, what a blessing to have met you and have you on our podcast. Uh, I will keep in touch with you, Rick. God bless you, sir. Keep speaking the truth, and I know fighting the good fight. I'm with you, brother. God bless you and your audience. Uh, thank you, Rick. All right, when we come back, we'll let you know who you can hear from the rest of this week on Stand Up For The Truth. Keep it right here, please. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now, we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. All right. I'm so thankful to have uh, these guests that we get to talk to. What a blessing, tremendous encouragement and inspiration for me personally. I hope it is for you, too. Let them know when we uh, have a podcast guest that we really enjoy. Go go to their website or go just say, hey, really loved what you had to say. I was encouraged by what you shared on Stand Up For The Truth. Tomorrow, you will hear about the book called The Faith of Mike Pence author Leslie Montgomery, uh, 15th, on the 15th, which is Thursday. Julian Appling is here. Not much to talk about when it comes to elections and Wisconsin politics and Supreme Court. <laughs> so we'll talk with Julian. And we had a good guest scheduled for Friday, and uh, he had to cancel. Now we have a great guest, Ryan Bomberger. He's the chief creative officer, the CEO of the Radiance Foundation, and he's got an amazing testimony and story and, uh, man, we're going to get into a lot of things. And, um, um, yeah, well, I just don't want to let the cat out of the bag. But Ryan Scott Bomberger on Friday. Thank you guys so much again for your support. As Rick mentioned, uh, we are a nonprofit, and we will be having a fundraiser at the end of the month. But you don't have to wait till the end of the month to give at StandUpForTheTruth.com. And we just appreciate your prayers first and foremost. And then, of course, your encouragement and support. God bless you. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.